As you stand here holding hands, you are about to enter into a legal marriage and for a lifetime. As you stand here holding hands, I hope you will remember this day that you are here because you love each other and wish to spend the rest of your lives together and to remember also the vows that you will pledge. These two are important words. This episode is a special episode because I'm going to talk a little bit about my marriage and I really wanted John on the podcast but guess what he's been a typical boy he's got a new computer game he's downstairs killing zombies and I was like you know what I can't wait around all night I mean this podcast has to come out weekly it can't come out next year so I'm off to go do it without you see ya and uh, yeah so I've left him downstairs killing zombies I will get him on the podcast maybe um maybe next year or something but we'll uh, we'll get him on when he's uh, stopped killing zombies anyway so this podcast I wanted to talk a little bit about our wedding because me and John have been together this year 10 years I mean it's the typical thing that everybody says but oh I could have got away with murder quicker I mean I don't know where that sentence comes from because you probably get a bit longer than 10 years maybe I don't know anyway we've been together 10 years and we've been married for five and I am so shocked we even bloody got married because when I met John John said to me oh no I don't really want to get married it's not really for me I mean people that know John that's the worst impression ever um and I was like, okay, so you don't ever want to get married? And I was like, well, I do. And, you know, I normally get my own way. So we will get married. I mean, I'm not a bunny boiler, but you get what I'm saying. And, um, yeah, for my 30th birthday, we went on holiday with a big group of friends. Um, and we all went away to Turkey. And, yeah, John proposed to me. I was absolutely bloody gobsmacked. So we've been together about four years at this point. And I was just so shocked. He proposed to me. And um, a quick story. What he did was, before we went on holiday, he said, oh, my friend's making some gloves. And um, she says your hands are like women's hands and they're small. So she'd love your ring size. And I was like, what? He was like, yeah, just the size of all your fingers. So she, she'd love to know the size of all your fingers so she can make these gloves. I was like, what? I mean, I used to work in fashion. I know how gloves are making. You don't take people's ring size. Anyway, he did this fake measurement where he was trying to measure my hands and all this rubbish. And little did I... I didn't even twig on as well. But little did I know, he was trying to get my ring size. Um, so, anyway, 
we went on holiday we had a lovely meal and he proposed and it was absolutely lovely all my friends were there and family were there uh well my sister and uh yeah she was crying i was crying it was quite an emotional time and yeah we did it in turkey and the guys in turkey said to me uh, oh you know what if you come back next year and get married you can get married over here and i was thinking we can't it's not illegal to get married in turkey bless them they did try So the year after, I decided we were going to get married. (laughs) I don't think John really had much choice in it, but I was like, okay, I really don't want a long engagement. You've proposed to me, let's get married. So we started looking at venues and places where we could get married, but bloody hell, it is expensive. I don't know how people do it. And it ended up looking about ten to fifteen thousand pounds for the wedding that we wanted because in my head I had a wedding what I wanted. I mean that was very basic. That was a bar, a nice little venue to get married, and that was it. I didn't really want to get married in a registry office and not no offence to that that again is also very fine. I just didn't want to do that. I knew where I wanted to get married, I knew what I wanted to do. But I couldn't afford it. We both couldn't afford it. And it was just unrealistic. And I thought, God, it's all that money for one day. And I would have spent the whole day thinking about other people and how happy they were. And not thinking about me and John. And it just, for me, just didn't work. Now, that is not to slag off anybody else's wedding. Because, again, it's what it's your wedding day. It's what works for you. But it just didn't work for me and for John as well John is a little bit different to me so like I said it was a big thing for him to stand up and propose to me he didn't want to get married in front of people he just got so nervous about it he was just like I just feel uncomfortable not marrying me but speaking in front of people doing a speech and it just wasn't us actually it just wasn't what we were about so I thought, okay, let's have a look at some alternatives. So we had a holiday coming up. Every year we go away with friends and things like that. So I went away that year. We went away to Egypt and I took my sister with us. And I remember being sat there with my sister one night and I was a little bit drunk. And I remember saying to her, look, I don't want to get married in a church or in a registry office or whatever in the UK. I want to do something different. And my sister had gone away and got married. She'd done that. She got married in Iceland and it was amazing. She just went and did it. And I kind of wanted to do something the same. I wanted to be spontaneous and go away and do something. I remember she'd not long come back from Vegas. And she she was talking to me about Vegas all holiday. And I thought, you know what? That would be a bloody amazing place to get married. I mean... I really do think I'm Britney and it'd be the best thing. Um, (laughs) So I ended up talking to my sister about it a lot on the holiday um, saying, well, I'm thinking about doing it. And we sort of started looking at places and how we could do it. And and I thought, right, okay, what I've got to do is I've got to go home. I've got to talk to John's mum and I've got to talk to my parents and see if they're okay with us not getting married uh, there in front of them and just doing it separately. But Vegas, I'd had my eye on it and I was like, right, we're going to Vegas. 
And me being me, I didn't want to go to Vegas the year after or the year after that. I was thinking, well, let's go in November. Let's go in like five months time. Let's just do it. If we're going to go do it, let's just do it. So (laughs) I remember coming home on the plane and just saying to John, I shouldn't have done this, but it worked out good in the end. But I said to John, I said, um, I'm thinking about taking you away in November somewhere for five days to have a nice little special holiday and he was like okay that's fine but for those of you that know John John's a little bit OCD just he can't just do that kind of thing he needs to know like what clothes to pack and what to wear so he kept asking me well what should I wear is it going to be sunny is it going to be warm is it going to be cold um you know what what should I wear and he went on like that for about two weeks Now, again, I am absolutely crap at keeping secrets. Not big secrets, I can keep them. But little secrets like this, I am crap at it. I'm just, I cave in because I just want to tell people. I'm like, oh, I just want to tell you this. Especially more if it's something exciting. And he kept asking and asking and asking and asking. And I thought, oh my God, I'm going to cave in. I'm going to cave in. And I am the worst liar ever ever i am the worst liar so i'm like oh my god i'm gonna cave in i'm gonna cave in so i remember sitting him down and saying right okay look i'm thinking about us getting married in vegas this year in november what do you think about it and uh i was quite surprised he was like totally up for it he was like that is brilliant that is the kind of wedding that i want so i was like okay So we both want that kind of wedding. And he was like, yep, that's exactly what I want to do. And that's when it felt right to me. It felt like it was the right time and the right place for us to get married. And I am so bloody glad I told John because I forget he is so much better than me at organising things. So... He got on the internet straight away and he booked the hotel, the venue, uh, the flights. He organised everything. I mean, obviously, I did it with him. We consulted with each other, but he was just great. He just found the best place to get married and made sure that they streamed it live so my family could still watch it and feel the part of the day. And we got pictures and we'd get a limousine and we'd just get treated really special. But also in an amazing budget i mean we did our wedding in a fraction of the price it would have cost to do a wedding over here plus we went to vegas we had a holiday and we got married i know people weren't there but trust me that was something i was ready to compromise on just to go in the sun and have an amazing wedding so that's what we did and um Yeah, there's a real misconception about Vegas. People think you can just kind of walk into a venue and get married, and you can't. You can have a fake wedding like that, but what you have to do is you have to get a marriage license. So you have to have a marriage license. That way it's legal over there and it's legal over here. And what they do in Vegas is you have to have this marriage license for 24 hours before getting married. So they they do have some things in place to make sure you're not just having a shotgun wedding. And so we went to this post office place to get our marriage licenses and I loved it. It was like a museum to dodgy celebrities. I mean, you had like Britney up there standing there in the queue waiting for a marriage license and you had a picture of Angelina Jolie or 
other people there <laughs> all waiting, queuing up to get their marriage license. And that's the thing. Doesn't matter who you are, you all have to sort of go to this place and register and get this marriage license. So, yeah, so it was just like a hall of fame of all these celebrities that were getting married. So on the morning of the wedding was quite funny because we were both so, so nervous and it was like 40 degrees outside. We had suits on and we had a limousine coming to pick us up. So it was about 10 o'clock in the morning. We looked at each other and we both said, let's go for a cocktail. So that's exactly what we did. We went for a cocktail just to get a little bit of Dutch courage in the morning. And when the limousine picked us up and took us to the marriage location, I think we went in a pink limousine as well. I mean, I don't think you can get any more gay than that. And when we got to the marriage place, this young girl, probably in her 30s, walked into the licensing with this guy who was in his 70s, 80s. And she was like, I want to get married. We've just met in Vegas. It's love. I want to get married. And like everything, they turned away. They said, you need to go and get a license and have a license for 24 hours. So they sort of got turned away at the door. Anyway, this woman comes in and she looks like Judge Judy. I think she looks like Judge Judy. And she started talking to me and John. And I realized that she was the person who was going to be marrying us, the ordained minister, I think they call it. And uh, yeah, she was going to be marrying us. And at first, I didn't like her. She was like a strict headmistress. And she kept sort of looking down at me and John and saying all these sort of very strict things like, oh, you're sure? And it was all a bit patronising. I mean, by this point, we'd been together five years. We knew we were ready to get married. But maybe they see a lot of that kind of thing all the time. Anyway, so she took us through to the room and she was like, right, I'm going to get to know you for about 10 minutes before marrying you. And it was only when we got into that room that I really connected with her because I said to John, I'm not sure I want this woman to marry us. Anyway, when we got in the room, we started talking about where we were from. So we were talking about we're from the UK and I was saying I was originally brought up in a place called Harrogate. And she turned to me and looked and burst out laughing. She said, I'm, I was born and raised in Harrogate too. And now I am here in Vegas. And it was lovely. It was like a little icebreaker. And she changed from being this strict teacher to just being this most loveliest woman that just made us laugh, made us feel relaxed. And I thought, okay, this is right. This is the right person. So, yeah, we got married. There was only a photographer there. They filmed the wedding and uh, I'll put that up on the Instagram <laughs> again. So if anybody wants to go and watch our wedding, you can watch it. But yeah, so they filmed the wedding. Uh, it all went out live to home and all our friends and families had little parties at home, which was so cute. I mean, even like my work did like a little party and they all had a live watching party. And our friends in London, they all got dressed up and had a little party. It was fantastic. And they streamed it and they sent it back live. And then the weirdest, weirdest, weirdest thing happened. So we sort of finished and um, she said, right, we're going to now take some pictures. So I was like, oh, OK, great. This is brilliant. We get some pictures. And she said, what I want you to do is I both want you to hold hands and walk through them double doors. Now, when you walk through the double doors, put your hands up in the air because people are going to be clapping at you. And me and John were like, okay, okay. And 
if you've been to Vegas, you'll know all the wedding chapels are in like the district where all the prostitutes are. And it's, yeah, it's a nice area, but it's where all the prostitutes hang out. And we walked through the door and just before she pushed this door open, she went, wave to the homeless and the hookers. And she pushed the door open and there was like these homeless people and these prostitutes at the side of the road all clapping. And we didn't realise, but as we stood waving really randomly, like holding hands, looking at each other like this is really weird, waving, there was a big screen behind our head saying John and Michael just married. And it was actually really funny, really bizarre, really cute and really Vegas. And you know what? I love it. I would not take back that wedding at, at all. It was absolutely fantastic and we spent the rest of our couple of days in Vegas we got really drunk the uh, night after our wedding and we missed the um, taxi fare the next day to take us to the Hoover Dam so we never saw that and on our wedding night we ate so much we ended up sleeping in separate beds because we were too stuffed I mean these are the things that you do when you get married but uh, yeah it was absolutely a most memorable trip Hi guys, I just want to interrupt the podcast and just let you know about my new song I've got coming out on the 3rd of July. It is a cover of the Michael Jackson song Human Nature and I've given it a little bit of a dance twist because you know me, I like a bit of zhuzh. You can access this song on any streaming platform from the 3rd of July. That's Michael Cromack, Human Nature. Is there say why, why? Tell them that it's human nature, just want to take a few minutes aside from the podcast to talk about pride because it's an important part of history and I think it's something that needs to be celebrated every year and I've seen so much hate towards pride over the last couple of weeks especially on social media and there's a lot of people saying well why isn't there straight pride I don't understand why um, gay people get pride Um, Well, firstly, guys, it's not just gay people. And secondly, you know, it's never been illegal to be straight. And pride is not about just people in the LGBTQ plus community. It is about everybody. It's about celebrating diversity. And the reason we have pride is about an event that happened 51 years ago in New York. So there was this little bar in New York called the Stonewall Inn. On on June the 29th in 1969, nine police officers came to the bar to arrest everybody and put everybody in prison. I mean, this is 51 years ago. This is crazy. And I'm going to be paraphrasing here. So I'm just giving you a brief oversight of what happened. So basically, there was riots that happened in the bar because people were like, you know what, sod this. We are not having this anymore. We've had enough. 
we are now standing up for our rights and the police could not control the atmosphere in the bar it became a riot it became quite violent and the police retreated from the bar so they stepped outside because they just couldn't handle it and they were met by hundreds of people i mean we're talking here the 60s before any mobile phones before any internet before any of that sort of thing we're talking about people just being fed up and wanting diversity and these weren't all people from the queer community these were straight people people who just didn't accept it anymore people who just wanted equality anyway what happened is the police officers couldn't contain outside so they got everybody out of the bar and they locked themselves in the bar inside and people got so mad and so angry they set alight this bar now none of them police officers got hurt they all got out but what it did do is it sparked a big three-day protest and that's when laws started to change in the US and a lot of the Western countries. And that is why we celebrate Pride today, because them people did a lot for our generation. And a lot of the young people in the community today still don't know anything about, you know, Stonewall. I mean, some people I've spoken to just think it's Pride is just a place you go and watch, you know, a fake little mix act or something. It's not about that at all. It's about these important events that happened. And it's so weird for me that in this modern age, we still have to have this fight. I mean, the saddest part, the saddest part is in the UK alone, over the last um, couple of years, hate crimes towards our community have gone up. I mean, that is bizarre. They're going up. They're not going down. You'd think with all of this diversity and people fighting for their rights. I mean, at the moment in the UK and across the world, you know, we've got the Black Lives Matter protests and all the people supporting that. Well, as well, you know, it's a similar fight. We're having the similar fight and no one wants to be a victim to it. But last year alone, there was 12,000 hate crimes that happened. And every year... Across the world, it's estimated that up to 40,000 people under the age of 16 commit suicide because they just can't handle their families not rejecting them or the thoughts of being queer. And it's just, it's not acceptable. And the hardest thing for me above all of it is the fact that in some countries it's illegal to be gay. And I respect that. I respect people's religions. I'm not religious whatsoever. I don't believe in it. That's just my personal view. But I understand that people do. And that's absolutely also very fine. And, you know, some countries just think it is uh, the worst thing in the world. You know, they support people being a paedophile more than being queer. And it's just... Oh, it's just bizarre. And sorry, when I use the word queer, that isn't derogatory. If people think it is, it's just an easier way than saying the LGBTQ plus. I've just said that even wrong myself. But you know what I mean? You know who I'm talking about. It's people in the community who are not straight. And um, yeah, so it's just so strange. Me and John can go on holiday and although we're married... We, we're not legally married in them countries. So if anything happened to John, I can't be there to be there with him in these countries. And that's a really scary thought. I will have no right whatsoever to be by his side if he's ill and vice versa. I mean, I'm not saying I'm trying to get John to be ill, but you know what I'm saying. 
and it's just so bizarre and um yeah even in this country today uh, gay men cannot have uh cannot take blood cannot give blood i just think that's so bizarre gay men cannot give blood i mean what kind of world are we living in blood every blood is tested before it gets used on a patient so why segregate gay men and they tried to lift that ban uh, especially through the COVID period because people weren't going out and giving blood and uh, they tried to lift it for a little while and then close it off again and it just feels so, so wrong. And blood banks all across the country are desperate for people um, to give blood and so many gay men would give blood. But yeah, we're not allowed to do that so that's a simple thing that probably won't ever be lifted. And it just still feels like a very backward step that we have to take. I mean, if you are straight or, you you know, imagine having to explain yourself to people when people ask you who your partner is. It's an awkward thing. I mean, for me, I really don't give a shit. I do not give a shit. I do not care who asks me. You know, I'll always say I'm proud to be with John. You know, John's my husband and my partner. But people don't feel that. People are scared because you know, the reactions you get. I remember being at college and um, I was friends with this guy. He was a straight bloke that was at college, did the dance course in me. And he was from Essex, I think. And he was quite a proper London boy. And I went on one weekend, went to stay with him and his family. And, uh, you know, me and him got on really well. And uh, I remember uh, one of his friends sitting in the car with me and being like, oh God, I don't know how you guys could go to that college. It's just full of a bunch of puffs and this and that. I mean, this bloke got on really well, this guy that was being homophobic, believe it or not. And I didn't mention at all I was gay. So I just stepped. I stayed very, very quiet. And I remember him in the car sort of being like, yeah, mate, yeah. And I was like, okay, okay. And then at the end of the conversation, um, my friend was really embarrassed. In fact, I could see him the whole time. Just He was driving the car and he was just cringing, bless him. I could see him, he's really cringing. And, you know, he's so supportive. He didn't give a damn. And um, in the end, it, the guy sort of said to me, oh, so have you got a girlfriend then? And uh, I said, yeah, yeah, I have actually. And I named the name of my boyfriend at the time. And this guy's face dropped and he was like, oh, oh, I really don't mean to offend you. Or And I said, no, that's your opinion. You're allowed your opinion. And it was really funny. From that day, um, I saw that bloke, God, for years afterwards. And we became friends. I'm not mentioning names. We became sort of friends. I don't see him anymore, but we became friends. And it changed his opinion because he had this very stereotypical view of what gay people should be like. And uh, yeah, and he realised that it was wrong. And I think that's what a lot of it is. It's fear. But again, it is still a fight we're having to face today. And Pride is so important. So even if you can't go to Pride, but you support me or you support, you know, anybody. Well, people listening to the podcast, I presume you do support me. You know, just have a bit of consideration of why we do it. You know, you don't have to understand it. You don't have to participate. But, you know, if you do, it's good. And you see a lot of very shit drag queens and a lot of, you know, you might get to see S Club 3. 
but it's worth it and it's just about supporting people because you know no one wants to be a victim anymore and i'm certainly not a victim but also we've still got to do this fight we've got to do it for our generation and the kids who are going to live it because i don't want to see any more kids have to commit suicide because of who they are So before the episode ends, I just want to cover something which is quite close to my heart. In March, when we went into lockdown, not only did this awful pandemic take a lot of people's lives, but it also affected a lot of people's mental health, including myself. You know, I live a busy life, I go to work, I absolutely love my job, and I come home, I, you know, watch a bit of telly, And then, you know, at the weekends we go see friends and we go out and we're sociable people. And having all of that taken away is really, really tough. And I'm privileged, you know. I have a lovely home. I've got a lovely husband and animals to be around. And, you know, we can have silly fun together because we get on like friends as well and get drunk together and do silly things. But not everybody has that. And there are some people who are vulnerable or older who have been isolating a lot longer. And this has been really, really tough. So when it happened in March, I really wanted to do something to give back, to help people who felt on their own and felt a bit lonely. And so I originally, and I say originally because I don't do it anymore, but I originally joined up to the government scheme which was for volunteers looking to help them. Now, when I joined up, I ticked a very specific box saying that what I wanted to do was to be a caller. So I would call people who were vulnerable or on their own and just be there as an ear to listen to and a friend. And I was really disappointed with the government government scheme, actually, because... Um, They didn't do real any background checks on me. They didn't feel like there was any training. I didn't really have any interview. And what happened was after a couple of weeks, they sent me an app called First Responder. And this app is actually used a lot for paramedics. And it's used to help people who uh, sort of need help, who are vulnerable. And what they wanted sort of the volunteers to do was if somebody had alerted that they needed help in your area and it didn't require an ambulance, then they wanted you to go. And I I just, it didn't feel right to me because A, although I am trained at doing first aid and things like that, I wouldn't know what to do if somebody had fallen over or, you know, would I go to an older person's home in the area and would they get attached and think that I had to be there every 10 minutes? And that sounds awful and very selfish, but you've got to kind of detach your own yourself away, you know, for your own life. So I didn't personally have a very good experience with it. And maybe other people out there, if you've done it, please let me know if you had a better experience because I'm really interested to know. But for me, I really didn't think it was very good. But it was something I still wanted to do. I still wanted to help people. And I thought, well, how can I do this? How can I go about doing it? So I had a bit of a research online and I came across a wonderful charity called Reengage. Now, what Reengage normally do is they normally hold like teas, afternoon teas for elderly people, uh, people who live on their own, 
And normally social workers and things like that flag to re-engage that this person's lonely and just needs help. And so I decided to put myself forward to be one of their volunteer. And it's taken about six weeks for the whole process to begin. So I had an on-phone interview. Then I had another on-phone interview with somebody else. Then I had to get references from my boss and from a couple of friends. And then they sent me some training. And then only at that point, they were like, yeah, okay, we want to take you on as a volunteer. So I was so super excited. I mean, I'm super excited about it. And when I'm recording this now, um, I haven't actually spoken to my first uh, friend. I'm calling them a friend because I'm hoping that's what they're going to be. I haven't spoken to them. Um, I'm actually doing that on Monday, but I have been allocated someone. So what happens is you then, after you've been accepted, you then have another phone call and they talk to you about the process. And what they do is they talk about a lot about your interests, your hobbies, things that you like to do. And they match you up with somebody. So they match you up with somebody who they feel you will get on with and you will help. And really, my job is not to uh, do what I do on here and sit and chat for hours, but literally just to be an ear to somebody every week and just to brighten up their little day. And I'm so excited. I got a call yesterday from my area manager. So you get like an area manager and they manage about seven or eight people. They get you in like a little WhatsApp group and they give you lots of advice and you get lots of training. And then what they do is they check in with you every couple of weeks. Or if you feel that the person has safeguarding issues and you need to report it, you then report it to your area manager. So I'm so excited. She rung me yesterday, the lady. She was lovely. She was called Vicky. She was really, really nice. I think this is new to her as well. She also works and does another job, but like many of us, we're all we're all doing new things. But she's worked with the charity, I think, for a long time. And yeah, and she's given me somebody and I obviously won't say the name. Uh, they're not from the same area as me. And there's certain things that you have to do. So this person that I've been allocated, uh, it, it is a male, I can tell you that. Um, I'm not allowed to um, give him any advice. I'm not allowed to tell him to not worry or to not talk about things. Um, you kind of have to just be that sympathetic ear and listen. And also, I'm not allowed to give him my phone number. So I have to block my phone number. And yeah, what I'll do is every week, I'll call this person for half an hour or an hour and we'll just chat and I'll make a new friend. And I love the idea of that. I love that because for me, somebody, you know, who's lived their life and experienced a lot of things that, you know, I've not experienced yet might be able to give me some good advice. And hopefully I might be able to bring a little bit of joy into this gentleman's world. Now, I do know a few things about him and I can tell you this. So um, apparently he likes bowls. I don't know anything about bowls, so if any of my friends do, please get in touch because I don't have a clue about it. I, I mean, I can bowl. Um, yeah, I mean, normally I have to put them lame things up and uh, the ball goes everywhere. But yeah, I can bowl. Um, but this is like bowls, old people's bowls that they do in the green grass. And um, yeah, and he likes horse racing. Again, something else 
I don't know about. I mean, maybe I can tell him that I like to do dressage. No, I'm not. I'm not going to do that. Um, but yeah, so I'm really excited, and it's just getting to know somebody. And I really would encourage if anybody's wanting to do anything uh, with uh, charity or wanting to do anything like that. Um, I'd really encourage this charity re-engage. I mean, they've absolutely been brilliant. And the best thing about this is when I go back to work, I can just do that call in my lunch hour. It's once a week. We can set the time. We can change the time. So I can go once a week and we can have our little chat. So I can't wait to maybe share some stories on here, the podcast, if he lets me, about his life and who he is. Um, obviously I won't give away his name or details or anything like that or where he lives in the country but I'm just so excited so that's my little thing that I've been doing and I can't wait to start helping somebody and hopefully being a good ear poor bloke I chat for bloody England So thank you so much for listening to this episode. I've loved having you once again. I know we've covered some serious issues, but it can't always be fun and laughter. But hopefully as well, you've learned a little bit more about me and my special 10-year uh, anniversary and 5-year wedding anniversary. And one day I'll get John on this bloody podcast. But um, I just want to say again, thank you so much for everybody who comes back every week and listens to the podcast. It really means so much to me. So right now I have about 50 people who continue and listen to my podcast every single week. Sometimes I get more listeners, but on average it's about 50 people. And what you can do to help and change that is... Just share, like, tell your friends, or even just in the place where you've heard this podcast, just comment, review, even if it's a bad review, if you don't like me, that's fine. But it just helps me build a little bit of a bigger audience, and it means I don't have to keep bombarding all the social medias with uh, afternoon dribbles. <laughs> afternoon doodles. I meant dribble. Oh, God, it's been a long day. But thank you again for listening. And I thought as another little treat, I'm going to play my new single again at the end of the episode. So this is my cover of Human Nature by Michael Jackson. And it is out this Friday on all streaming services. Thank you very much. Enjoy and I'll speak to you next week.
Why, why, what does he do without a way? If they say why 